0: If you have a Bible, I would love for you to uh, make your way to Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, we're going to be looking this morning at verses 12 through 42. And if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, grab one from the pew rack. And today's passage is found on page 913. Begins on page 913. Let me pray for us and then we'll... We'll read God's Word together. Heavenly Father, uh, the grass withers and the flower fades, but your Word remains forever. Uh, Your Word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Your Word works when the Spirit who inspired the Word illumines us to receive it. When you go before the reading and preaching of the Word, you do a a work that only you can do. We're going to consider that this morning, Lord. We're going to consider the ways that you work and the ways that you have worked uh, forever, that you're unchanging. And that's a great confidence for us because it means that you can and will work today. Um, And so that's our prayer. Do so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Uh, This is God's holy word. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of life. And When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering uh, what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men who who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you were about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined with him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. May God write his word upon our hearts. So this year, we're working our way through the book of Acts. And if you've been here, uh, you've probably noticed a couple of common themes. If this is your first time, then then I'll share these with you. But if you've been here for any time at all during this series in Acts, you've, you've probably noticed a couple of common themes. And the first common theme is, is a theme of obstacles and opposition, trials and tribulation. As the church grew, opposition uh, grew as well. And what we see nearly on every page here in Acts is trials and tribulation and persecution, uh, persecution facing these Christians. Uh, just a few weeks before Jesus returned to the Father, uh, just, just days before um, his crucifixion, he told the disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And already, just weeks later, the disciples were feeling the weight of those words. And so one of the themes that we see, have already seen in Acts, and will continue to see in Acts, is a theme of obstacles and opposition, trials and tribulation. It will continue. And the second common theme is that in the face of opposition and obstacles, uh, in the face of trials and tribulations, the Holy Spirit always empowered his people. The Spirit of Christ overcomes the obstacles because God will always make a way. And so in chapter 1, just before Jesus departed, just before he ascended back to the Father, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And the disciples were seeking to obey Jesus' command and commission. They were, they were striving to be witnesses, and they discovered over and over again that God indeed made a way, that His Spirit was with them, that He empowered them to be witnesses. And what I want you to understand is that God has not changed. That the God that we read of here, the power of Christ that is healing folks, the way the Spirit is working, The the, the Father's plan, that God has not changed and His plan has not changed. The Spirit's power and presence has not changed. And what this means for us is that we, we should strive day in and day out to live as Spirit-empowered witnesses. That we should strive day in and day out to live by the power of the Spirit, but we should also expect, expect to face obstacles and opposition. But we can also know that God will continue to make a way and he will work. And so that, that's that's the big picture. And with that in mind, I've got three thoughts that I want you to consider. Really, just one major thought, broken down into three parts. So here's the first part God's way works. That's the first thing I want you to consider and sort of hang on to. God's way works. You know, you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to know that Christianity in the West uh, seems to have fallen on hard times. Even, even a guy like me, not terribly bright, you can, you can know that Christianity uh, seems to have fallen on hard times. So beginning over a hundred years ago in Europe, Christianity went from being the dominant belief system and the dominant ethic to being marginalized and rejected. And today, when you travel to Europe, you see churches that are now museums or they're empty. And it took a while, but that marginalization and rejection traveled across the pond and has now taken deep root in the U.S. There was a new report just released a few weeks ago, and I I don't think any of you follow me on Twitter. The two of you that do may have seen this. Uh, I I tweeted uh, a link to this report that it reveals that Americans... Identifying with no religion uh, now make up 23.1% of the population. So Americans who who self-identify with no religion, 23.1% of the population, while Americans identifying as evangelical Christians make up 22.8% of the population. Now, I I don't want us to quibble over semantics, the term evangelical, which really no longer means what it's historically meant. But let's, let's instead face this reality. Just, just in the last few years, we have passed the tipping point. And for the first time in our nation's history, the percentage of people claiming no religion has overtaken the percentage of people claiming to be Bible-believing Christians. Do you have your pearls to clutch onto? Whatever will we do, Whatever will we do? What will we do now that we have gone from the majority to a minority? Well, this may sound crazy, but perhaps we will thrive. You see, historically, and you can see it here in the book of Acts, but you can trace it for the next 2,000 years, Christianity never flourished in the long run when it enjoyed the favor of all people. It flourished when it was marginalized and rejected. The church grew in these early days. It seems like every page we turn, thousands are added, thousands are added. We even see it here in the text today. And more than ever, verse 14, believers were added to the number multitudes. The church grew and has grown throughout history when it was considered a religion for losers. And so I welcome this underdog status. You see, for far too long... Christians, at least in our nation, have enjoyed a place of prominence. We've enjoyed an authoritative voice in the culture. And so we've used that place to curse the darkness rather than being a light in the midst of that darkness. And so I'm not concerned with these trends. I actually see them as a way of breaking our pride. Of of breaking our pride and shattering our complacency. But only when we commit ourselves to God's way, because only God's way works. So just ponder this. What do we find these early Christians doing, or these Christians doing early on in the book of Acts? What are they doing? What, as, we've, as we've read now into the fifth chapter, what are they doing? Well, they were doing what Jesus commanded. They were gathering regularly, daily, weekly for worship and study. They were serving one another and sacrificing for one another. They were going to and fro in the marketplace, uh, currying favor with, with others. They, the apostles were displaying the power of Jesus and healing, healing people. And day in and day out, God was adding to their number. You see, friends, that's God's way. It's pretty simple. And w- When we as Christians live a very simple life, and the way we talk about it here at CPC is through worship, teaching, nurture, reaching. That's what they've been doing. That- that's what we've seen from the day of Pentecost on. That's all they've been doing. Worship, teaching, nurture, and reaching. And through that, God works. God- God's way is simple. God's way works when the church does what only the church can do. The problem is, uh, many Christians look at the trends or, or the, the statistics that I just quoted and they, they see that Christianity is declining. And so they think we have to be novel. You know, perhaps if we put on a laser light show, then people will be drawn to the message. Or I thought maybe next week, if I come out on roller skates and wrap the sermon, then um, people will be drawn to the message. Yeah, someone would like that, Debbie. Maybe I will. But therein lies the problem. Therein lies the problem. That's not God's way. God's way is simple. It's service and sacrifice. It's word and sacrament. It's loving the lame, believing that God can heal. It's what we see here in the book of Acts. God's way works. A few weeks ago, um, Jason preached from chapter three, and he made the point that uh, miracles were never events unto themselves, that physical healing points us to spiritual healing, that miraculous tongues proclaimed the gospel, so the amazing events that we see in the book of Acts, they have a greater purpose, they have a grander focal point. All these amazing things that we see are meant to point us over and over again to Jesus. And in verses 12 through 16, it says the apostles were performing many signs and wonders. I think it's, it's uh, interesting that Luke tells us this was a regular occurrence. Think about it, 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 was, it was so regular, it was so commonplace... That is, the apostles were were walking through communities and towns, particularly there in Jerusalem. People took their lame out to set them in the shadow of Peter because that's just how Jesus worked. People were regularly being healed. People were being added day in and day out. Christ was getting glory, and again, verse 14 says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Remember again, God hasn't changed. So the point is this. When God's people employ God's plan, God works. It's pretty simple. When God's people employ God's plan, God works. And so let's not worry about becoming a statistical minority. In fact, let's embrace it. Let's embrace obstacles and opposition, trials and tribulation, and just watch God work. Because throughout history, he has, and we see it here. So here's the second thought. Remember, one, one thought broken down into three parts. God's way works. Secondly, God's way works to overcome obstacles. What we see early on is that the apostles were once again arrested. And so it's it's going to seem like uh, when you're reading it, am I reading the right passage? It seems like I just read that. They're arrested again, beaten and released again. They're commanded to not teach or preach in Jesus' name, and once again they say we must obey God rather than man. It's this common theme. The apostles were arrested, they were put in prison, and once again God made a way. Look again at verse 19. During a night, during the night, um, an angel, a messenger of the Lord, miraculously opened the prison doors. And the angel let them out, but then he didn't say. And here, here's here's what here's what maybe I would have expected him to say. All right, guys, you're free. You better get gone while the getting's good. The doors are open. Make like a tree and leaf. That's not what he says. What does the angel say? What does the messenger of God say to them? You guys keep doing what you do. You keep doing what you do. Go right back out there to the most prominent place. He says to the temple and preach the gospel. Proclaim Jesus. Friends, when God establishes a plan, he makes a way. When Satan or sinners set up roadblocks, God overcomes those obstacles. So a couple of weeks ago, we considered God's sovereignty. Uh, We considered how to make sense of of God's sovereignty in the face of opposition and obstacles, and I challenged you to, to rest, to rest in his sovereignty. Rest in the knowledge that God is in complete control That nothing you face takes him by surprise. And so we rest. But I also said that resting in God doesn't mean that we let go and let God. It means that we trust God and get going. If we jump ahead just a bit, I want you to notice what a respected leader of the Pharisees uh, named Gamaliel, what he said in verses 38 and 39. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Friends, if, if what we're doing is our plan in our effort, then it will fail. But if it's of God, we won't be able to stop it. Uh, since 1959, just after uh, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara and others, just after they overthrew President Bautista in Cuba. Uh, Cuba since then has been a spiritually dry place, just an absolute desert. Uh, Cuba is an interesting place. It has uh, one of, I believe, the highest or second highest literacy rate in in Latin America and in the Caribbean, Uh, but it has the lowest biblical literacy rate. And, And the communist regime... Uh, They rightly fear the Christian gospel. They fear the Christian message because it's a message of freedom and liberation from sin, and it's a message that sets people free, and that idea scares those in power. About eight years ago, uh, my friend, many of you know him, Jason's friend, uh, his name is Raul Bermudez. He was burdened for Cuba. He's from Puerto Rico. And, and, and as he began to explore Cuba, he saw the need for a gospel witness. The need for Bible-believing, gospel-centered, reformed churches. You see, uh, it's sort of an interesting little conundrum. Uh, if a church or denomination was recognized by the government prior to the overthrow in 1959, they were grandfathered in. Of course, the PCA didn't come into existence until 1973. 1973. And so we're not grandfathered in. What that means is there's, there are very few Christians, but, but there are very few Bible-believing, gospel-centered, reformed churches, a handful on the island. And so Ra- Raul saw the need and the need to train pastors, again, because a high literacy rate, but a low biblical literacy, uh, literacy rate. Uh, the need to chur- uh, plant churches. But eight years ago, there didn't seem to be a way. You see, for decades, the U.S. had a strict embargo against Cuba. Uh, Very few Americans were allowed to visit the country. But over the last eight years, thanks, Obama, and we actually can, uh, the embargo, while it was not lifted, it was softened, and it's become much easier for Americans to visit Cuba and to do ministry. And So just consider this. Eight years ago, just one or two or, or three uh, center reformed churches on the island. But now, eight years later, Raul, through that ministry, Ama Cuba, has planted eight churches in eight years. Just two weeks ago, 20 students from RUF OSU went to Cuba, teaching children and ministering. In just a little over a month, Ethan and I will go, taking my son Caven, but we'll be going and ministering in Havana, Kohamar, and Alomar. I just want you to use Cuba as an example. Since 1959, a spiritually dry place where there didn't seem to be a way. But God's way works, and he overcomes obstacles. He makes a way. He makes a way. It was true in Acts and it's true today. Here's the third part. God's way works. God's way works to overcome obstacles. God's way works to overcome obstacles and change even the hardest heart. That God can change even the hardest heart. You know, it's, it's sad to say, but even when God is at work, even when he's clearly at work, some people will continue to reject him. We take no comfort in that, but we know it's true, that when God is at work, some will reject him. Here here we see uh, that there were many who heard the words of life, and they were moved to repentance and faith, and they're contrasted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees heard these same words of life, but to them they were words of death, and they were enraged. They persisted in their rejection. They, they, They doubled down. But even in the midst of that, there's a glimmer of hope. There's a little glimmer of hope in a darkened heart. So a moment ago, I mentioned to you uh, one of the prominent leaders of the Pharisees, a man named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel stands out because he stood up. And so let me tell you just a little bit about Gamaliel. Uh, Gamaliel, as mentioned, I believe two times in the New Testament, I think. He was a prominent Jewish scholar. He was a respected community leader. He was an instructor in the school of Hillel, uh, which would sort of be like the covenant seminary of the ancient Jewish world. Actually be more like RTS. Um, his expertise was the Mosaic Law, and he taught strict adherence to the law. Uh, Gamaliel was a member of the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin were a governing body who decided uh, legal matters. Uh, They decided things that had religious, political, and social ramifications. Gamaliel was also the Apostle Paul's primary mentor and instructor. So before Paul was known as Paul, when he was known as Saul of Tarsus, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel he was a student in the school of Hillel. He learned, uh, he learned his trade uh, from this man. Now we don't know a lot about Gamaliel, but we do know a lot about Paul. So you understand how this might work. Um, one of Jason's friends, mentors, professors, uh, colleagues for a season was Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, beautiful, wonderful Scotsman, you may not know him or know much about him, but if you know Jason, then you basically know Sinclair. <laughs> no, we, we, can, we can know uh, about someone by, by those who they have discipled and mentored and trained, and so we don't know a whole lot about Gamaliel, but we know a whole lot about Paul, and it's very safe to say that Paul's hatred for the gospel, that his violent treatment of Christians that his his, um, forcefulness, all of that were ingrained in him from his time with Gamaliel. And yet, it was Gamaliel who in this almost riotous scene stood up and said, now let's take a moment and think about this. They're about to um, lay hands upon uh, Peter and John And Gamaliel says, let's let's see if cooler heads can prevail. Let's be careful. Because if what the apostles are saying is true, and if what they're doing is right, then we won't be able to stop it. In fact, we may discover that we are opposing God himself. And so here you have the primary mentor, disciple, or professor for the apostle Paul who says, let's let's just see here. Let's see if what they're saying is of God. Now, I don't know if Gamaliel ever had a conversion moment. I don't know if he ever embraced the message of faith in Christ as his pupil Paul did. But I have hope. You see, this, this passage provides us with just a glimmer of hope. And at the very least, Gamaliel's words remind us that God can change even the hardest heart. And we're going to see that in a few weeks with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who is going around the countryside, breathing, the, the text says, murderous threats against the church. The Apostle Paul, who here in three weeks after Easter and then um, the, the appointment of the 1st protodiaconate, will see the stoning of Stephen. The Apostle Paul who who, uh, received the coats of the men who stoned him. The Apostle Paul, the hardest heart, embraced faith in Christ. And here's what we must remember. See, we face opposition and obstacles, trials and tribulation. And we remember that God works in the midst of that. And his way is simple service and sacrifice, word and sacrament, loving people, trusting Christ. And we must remember that we cannot change anyone's heart. You can't argue someone into faith. I was having this conversation with my oldest son, Cademan, recently. He was having a conversation with a friend of his uh, talking about uh, the gospel and just trying to share some basic things about the Christian faith and what it is we believe a- and uh, we were texting back and forth. That's how we communicate, by the way, to my 17-year-old son. He's upstairs. I'm downstairs. And, you know, why, why, why talk each- to each other face-to-face, of course? Um, it's a long walk. So he's texting me. He's saying, well, what should I say? And this goes on for a bit. And I said, listen, you can't rationalize and argue someone into the kingdom. You can't guilt someone into true Repentance. But God has a way, and his way works. And what we begin to see here with Gamaliel, I pray that it's true, but what we certainly see with the Apostle Paul is that God's way works on the most hardened heart. It worked on you. It worked on me. So after Gamaliel's speech, the apostles were beaten. They were commanded once again to stop speaking of Jesus, and they were released. And I love how this section ends. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. You know, what happens when we get reprimanded? Well, we change our tune. I mentioned to you last week, coming back from Tyler and uh, and speeding a bit and getting caught in Henrietta and thankfully not getting a ticket, the speed limit was... Uh, 45, I was going 74, but then it jumped back up, the speed limit jumped back up to 65, and, and how many of you have ever done this? Uh, hopefully, you haven't gotten pulled over too many times for that, but uh, if you have, this I find myself always doing this. I'll be speeding, I'll get pulled over, ticket warning, maybe not, and then, and then I'll, I'll take off, and I find myself now driving about six or seven miles under the speed limit. Because surely they're what you know, someone's watching. You would think that the apostles, beaten, released, once again commanded to stop speaking of Jesus, would be kind of looking over their back and, 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 uh, and taking it easy, hiding out a bit. But it says every day in the temple, the most prominent place where the angel commanded them to go. And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. You see, that's God's way. God's way is taking Jesus to people and pointing people to Jesus in spite of the obstacles. And if we're confident in God's way and trust that he will make a way, then I want you to understand it doesn't matter what the latest study reveals about the decline of evangelicalism. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the latest challenge is. We can trust that God works. He works in the hardest hearts and he makes a way. And we simply follow him. Let's pray for strength to do that. Father, uh, it, uh, I was just uh, reading this morning of this church uh, that's going to um, drop 50,000 Easter eggs and the pastor is going to parachute from a plane um, on Easter to, uh, to try and hopefully uh, win, win some with the message of the gospel. Uh, Lord, your way works. Your way works. It's simple. It's in the face of obstacles and opposition, trials and tribulation, going from person to person, using the opportunities and the spheres of influence that we have to speak of Jesus. To speak of Jesus, to take people by the hand to Jesus, to not give up or give in, but to simply let you do what you've always done. And so, God, I pray that we would be bold, even this week, this week as we have opportunities uh, to speak to family, friends, neighbors, to invite them to church, we see the statistics. Uh, less and less people are identifying with the Christian faith, and less and less people are, are coming to churches these days. And I pray that we would be bold and use these opportunities to invite someone, but not think that we have to circumvent your plan or, or do something novel or unique, or that we have to Take full responsibility for this ourselves. We can be faithful, and we can be obedient, knowing that you have made a way and your way works. And so, give us the boldness as well as the discipline to do that day in and day out for Christ's sake in his name. Amen. When we come to